Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Uh, to our listeners up in the north currently affected by the wildfires, we hope you are safe and yes. okay because uh, we're feeling your effects down here because holy fuck, it's hard to see. Yes, there is a air quality warning. Yeah, which is kind of weird to say in our area. Yeah, well, like if if you're out on the west coast of the United States, you might be a little more used to this because uh, wildfires are more prevalent out there. But I I got this notification from my Amazon Alexa yesterday, and I totally did not pay attention to the time it was taking place. So I thought it was supposed to be yesterday, mm-hmm. and I got up this morning, and I'm like, oh, going about my day, and then I all, all of a sudden I started smelling it while I was in the middle of a building so far away from any doors and windows that I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Yeah, so... Like, at, like at one point, I was looking at my phone, the air quality index in our area reached 220, which, if you're unfamiliar with how the air quality index works, think of it like golf. You want low numbers. The higher the number, the worse it is. Exactly. So we're just hoping everybody is staying safe and as healthy as they can be during this right now because, yeah, this is just something we are completely not used to. I was like, if, if you're not familiar with what it's going to look like or what it's looked like before, go look up on YouTube the nightmare scenes from the Justice League movies. Yes. And that's exactly what, what the sky looks like for us today. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Or if you're familiar with the scenes in Mexico from Breaking Bad, that yellow hue you see, yeah, that's what it looked like today. Yeah, so like I say, to see that in our uh, part of the world, that is just unheard of. Snow? Sure. Yeah. Tornadoes? On occasion. Sure. You know... Uh, floods, yeah, wildfires, not a common occurrence. <laughs> right, so we are just trying to get through that situation and bring you some sports talk because that's what we do here on the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you after the show. So, Pat, where do they head on over to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website, check out the social media accounts, check out the T Public Store link, check out the Patreon link, shout out to all our amazing patrons, one tier, $2 a month. Check out the blog section. Check out the directory. Which pad? How many providers are we on? Oh, six hundred and sixty thousand. Sounds about right to me. I lose track easy, but Pad is on top of that, folks. That's what he does. And you can also check out the classified section, which has friends of the show such as Three FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and many more. The music section of the show, where you can check out such bands as Brian Wolf and the Howlers down in Austin, Texas, and returning. To live shows, and it has been a while, and I was super excited to get this notification. Shout at the Robots is back playing gigs. Nice. It's been a while, and I'm so happy for Julian and the crew there. So definitely, if you're able to see them locally, make sure to go check that out. But if you're listening internationally or outside of the state, simple. You just go right to the website. You can click on their links. You can go support them because they're all fantastic people. That's why we endorse them here on the show. And basically, if there's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the sports edition of the show, we have to talk about the UFC. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a big event going on this weekend, but something happened last weekend that has generated a bit of a buzz. Mm-hmm. And not for the right reasons. <laughs> 
to say the least. Yeah. So, Pad, let's talk about it, shall we? Yeah, so this was a UFC fight night card that took place this past weekend uh, from the Apex, I believe it was, mm-hmm. in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. And the, the main event of this card and the, and the one fight we're going to talk about uh, was between Kai Car France uh, taking on Amir Albazi. Uh, the fight went the distance uh, where you had, uh, what is it, uh, Amir Albazi emerge victorious by a uh, split decision. Split. Uh, with two judges scoring the cards 48 47 in favor of Amir Albazi, uh, and the third judge scoring it in favor of Kai Car France. And that's where the controversy starts. Right. Because as you look at the strikes counter. That was done during the entire fight. Mm-hmm. Kara France outstruck his opponent. Yeah, and, and almost du- almost double. Yeah, so you and you can see these stats if you go. So if you go to UF, I'll walk you through it. If you go to UF, pause and get yourself ready. You're going to want to go to UFC.com. So you go to UFC.com, and once you get past the Ultimate Fighter thing that's on the website right now, if you click on uh, Events, it'll bring down a drop down menu, and you go to Past. Uh, so then you look at the, it's the first one top of the screen. There should be uh, UFC fight night, high car France versus Albazi click on the recap, which is on the right side. And it brings you first thing right there. You click on the main fight there between the two fighters it brings up all the stats you need to know. And you can go by, you know, strikes by target strikes by position, but we're going to look at the strikes for, and the stats for the full fight. Uh, so for total strikes, you had 133 from Kai car France uh, to the 64 from Amir Albazi. So if you're if you're just talking straight numbers, you know, check mark to Kai Car France. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of takedowns, you had two of them from Kai Car France to the one from Amir Albazi. So again, check mark to Kai Car France. Submission attempts, you had none from Kai Car France and one from Amir Albazi. So you know, check mark in the Amir sure. uh, side of the uh, paper. Uh, reversals, none on either side. So leave that blank. Uh, significant strikes, ninety nine of them from Kai Car France to forty three from Amir Al uh, Bazi. Again, some another check mark in the favor there of uh, Kai Car France. Uh, and then knockdowns, there were none on either side. So doing the math, rough shot here. Mm-hmm. Total strikes were doubled. Yep. For Car France, just keeping the math simple. Significant strikes were doubled. Yep. So how the hell does he lose this fight? And this was the argument that went online because, as you know, watching the UFC, one of the most legendary phrases from Dana White in the entire history of the company is don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Yep. In this situation, though, it went to the judges. Nothing you can do about it. Uh Uh-huh. But when you're doing the math, and this is simple numbers, there's no smoke and mirrors here. Right. Kara France wins this outright. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's almost a four-to-one ratio for the five-round fights. I mean, if we're just talking straight statistics, because you can break down the this, this stats by round. Mm-hmm. You know, so the first round, you had 20 strikes to 12, you know, again, in favor of Kai Carfrons. Uh 13 of them significant, six to the six from uh, Amir. Uh, second round, 17 strikes to 12 in favor of Kai Carfrons. And again, the significant strikes favor Kai. Mm-hmm. Third round... 30 significant strikes to 15 in favor of Car France. Uh, again, and the significant strikes work out the same way, 9 to 3. Uh, and then round 4, 29 strikes compared to 7 in favor of Kai Car France. Uh, and then significant strikes, 27 to 5. And then you get to round 5, 
37 significant strikes to 18, or excuse me, not significant strikes, total strikes, 37 total strikes to 18 total strikes with 34 of them being significant to 18 of them again in favor of Kai Car France. I'm not saying he opened up a can of whoop ass on him, but well, he beat him. It was a one-sided fight. That's the whole point of this. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it went to the judges in this manner is really crazy to begin with, but the fact that the decision went split mm-hmm. and in the other direction is just something trying to wrap my head around. And a lot of MMA fans are trying to comprehend this. We're all struggling with because it doesn't add up. And it's nothing against Albazi. Yeah. It's nothing against yeah. him. But when you're looking at the total body of work and mm-hmm. you're looking at round by round, yeah, this is car of France all day. Yeah. So the fact that it went the other way yeah. really generated a buzz and not in the right way. So in case you're curious, uh, I'm going to read off the judges' scorecards because these aren't hidden. This isn't, you know, some sort of like back alley. I'm meeting a hooded figure. They're giving me the secret information you're not supposed to know. No, folks, I'm getting this right off of the UFC website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first judge uh, by the name of Chris Lee scored the fight 48-47 in favor of Amir. Uh, he gave the first round to Kai Car France and the fifth round to Kai Car France. He gave rounds two, three, and four to uh, Amir Albazi. And I should know, as if you can't tell by the scores, all of these rounds are 10 nines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second judge, Sal Diamato, who is well known to UFC uh, viewing veterans, mm-hmm. uh, gave the fight 48 47 to Amir Albazi. Gave the fourth and fifth rounds to Kai Car France and gave the first, second, and third rounds to Amir. You get to the third judge, uh, Mike Bell, who gave the fight 48 47 to Kai Car France, who gave the first fourth and fifth rounds to Kai Car France and gave the second and third rounds to uh, Amir Albazi. See, I could almost stomach that. Sure. I I could I could be okay with that for that decision, but at the end of the day, I mean the body of work speaks for itself. Sure. So, like we said, this has caused quite a stir amongst MMA fans and fighters alike. Sure. And one fighter in particular oh boy. has had a lot to say about this, mm-hmm. and that is UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya. Mm-hmm. Now, he is training partners with Kira France. So you can understand, obviously, when you go through camps with your fighting team, mm-hmm. you form that very family bond with them. So that said, the minute this came out, Adesanya had a lot to say on Twitter, and I'm going to paraphrase because, well, I try keeping it somewhat clean uh, with the language on the show. I know sometimes it'll slip, but... um, There might be kids listening. Yeah, this this is just basically, to paraphrase a little bit, fire Chris Lee and Sal Diamato. Yeah. Uh, I knew... Uh, quote, and like I said, this is coming from MMAJunkie.usatoday.com. Uh, quote, I tweeted that before even seeing the scorecards because I knew that them two would F it up. Uh, he wrote another tweet. How many times will they rob athletes of their moments of glory, of their money, of their livelihood? Um, F them. Bleep them bleeps. Yep. Uh, they need to go away, uh, to paraphrase that little part of that mm-hmm. and he did say mike Ju- mike bell was the only judge that got it right uh the other two no and it kind of just has escalated from there and uh, there's been a lot of the mma media that's been talking about this too and there was a point that he brought up that i really wanted to mention on the show mm-hmm. and he says quote start interviewing the judges after fights hold them accountable for their work sure 
So, Pat, let me throw this to you. Obviously, knowing the information we do concerning this fight, mm-hmm. do you think the judges should have to be accountable for their work here? I mean, it's a nice idea, but I know it's not going to mean much because I know I can't speak for the NFL, but I know Major League Baseball will do this on occasion. Not every or maybe it is every occasion, but it only really gets brought up in, in moments of controversy. But I know Major League Baseball will do this sometimes where, like, you can, you know, the crew chief or the one of the, you know, the home plate umpire will get interviewed after the game. But it's not in a traditional press conference setting mm-hmm. where it's all of the press reporters that are there and whatever else. And it's like, like you would see after like an NBA game or an NFL game or whatever, like, oh, they're sitting there taking questions. No, it's usually one pool reporter who gets picked. And they go into a room with them, and it's like, all right, go and ask these questions, and you're good to go. Yeah, it's a nice thought, but unless you're going to really like open it up to, you know, like a, at like a traditional press conference setting, mm-hmm. I don't know what the good's going to be because the press reporter's not going to want to ruffle any feathers. If 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 it's done in the way that Major League Baseball does it, where it's the one reporter, it's a room off to the side, it's like a set number of questions, and you know, you already know what they're going to ask. What's the point? You know, it's all a game of charades and it's all smoke and mirrors. I'm not opposed to it, but you have to do it publicly and openly and have it so that like all of the reporters who are there. No, I'm not saying you got to keep them there for 45 minutes to an hour. Sure. To to answer for their transgressions or what have you. But you've got to if you're going to do it, do it in a way where it's not just one person in the room. What I think they should do is show their scorecards after each round. Before okay. you before you start the okay. next round, okay. I think they'll do a couple things. One, it will let the fighters know where they rank, yeah, as far as going into the later rounds, yeah. Because a lot of times we've seen teams think they're ahead for various reasons, right? And they're clearly not, or outright lie to their fighters that they're ahead. Yeah. So you see, obviously, the mentality changes when they're yeah. going at it yeah. in the cage. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a situation where if you unveil the scorecards after each round, then fighters have an idea what they're going to need to do if they want to try securing a W. I'm not opposed to that, but I think the only thing you would need to do just to not make fights and fight cards go any longer than they already are. You and I both know very well these some of these cards go on way too goddamn long. Mm-hmm. Have the I'm not opposed to it, but what you do is so you're not dragging it out waiting for the judges to score the cards, making copies, bringing it over to each of the sides, and then going, hmm, okay, let's make our game plan. Do it while the fight is going, so like seamlessly. So like you give it out, you have a runner or, or some person who's working for the event, you know, run the card. All right, you got, that's the, you know, the red corners copy. This is the blue corners copy. Go to one, go to the other, and they find out mid-next round. However they need to do it. I mean, something like that I think is definitely workable. Or do you just have a camera right behind them as they score it and they yeah. show it on the yeah. the big screens? Like, you have to do something for this because I think for the fighters this is something, and I think for the fans too, because the suspense of what the judges are thinking is never as box office as people think. Like, when it comes down to fights getting decided by them, it's all about perspective. And you should always be going for a finish if you're in the fight game. I'm sorry. Like, that's what your job is to do. Obviously, in the UFC especially, you're rewarded for for amazing finishes. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that there's not incentive to go for it. But if you think you're coasting for a decision, and we get back into the days of the quote-unquote lay and pray 
when you're dominating somebody on the ground with your wrestling that you're not yeah. a, you're not doing enough to win, but you're doing enough. Or I'm sorry, you're not doing enough to finish, but you're doing enough to win. I think when you start showing that, I think that would be something that would keep fans engaged and it would keep fighters engaged. Mm-hmm. And especially if you can do it quickly enough in between rounds, like I said, you have put a cameraman behind each coach or each judge and show it on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Like, do it that way. I, I agree with Like, I don't think it needs to be held up, and you have that certain time period in between rounds. You need to get going on it, but if you show it quickly on the score on the big screen, then you can go, okay, you can make those adjustments as you fly. Right, and I, and I looked it up. There is a – I tried to find and see if there was anything about the information about the judges and how long they've been judging UFC events for. Because one of the things I know we've heard over the years is, oh, you know, we got these boxing judges in there mm-hmm. or these other judges in there that that don't know the sport and they, they only go by off of boxing stuff and yada, yada. Well, I looked it up. There is a website called MMADecisions.com where it looks like you can look up, you know, the decisions of fights and then the judges and various fights that they've worked. Uh, Chris Lee... Uh, one of the judges during this card uh, has worked uh, is not a first time uh, judger for this card. He's worked. I'm showing on the screen. He's worked a number of events. Yeah, he's got a lot of. He's worked a number of events this year, and he's judged you uh, MMA events. His first one he did was on the eighth uh, of July in 2006. So he's been around a while. Mm-hmm. We got Saldi Amato, who, like I said, we're everyone's intimately familiar. For yeah, he's with. he's he's judged many many times yeah. in the UFC. So uh, that's... his first uh, ref event according to the site or not reft a judged event according to the mma decisions.com was wec 27 in 2007 i believe that that uh, sounds about right and then for mike michael bell uh again reft a or judged a number of mma events this year uh but his first event mma related he has judged was bellator 85 on the 17th of january 2013 so this isn't a case of like, oh, this is a bunch of jabronis who don't know the sport, don't know the fighters, aren't familiar with who these guys are, what their styles are. No, these guys know. And that's one thing, too, with the judging. I think it needs to evolve, and I think that a lot of times it defaults back to the boxing style. Yeah. Which is good and bad right. pending, but right. I also think that they should go for this idea with boxing, too. I, I It will probably never happen, but I think now in situations like this, and you're seeing it more and more start to pop up a little bit. Right. Especially, maybe it's just me, but I see this happening over the past six months. I've seen this happen a little more and more. It, it feels like that, yeah. You need to really kind of address this as putting it right up there and letting the fighters know and giving them, no pun intended, a fighting chance. Yeah. And I think that this is going to be a cause for some argument for it because, like I say, it's extended outside of Adesanya saying something. I know Ariel Hawani was mm-hmm. very vocal about it. John Anik was too, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So there's a lot of big names in the MMA media that had something to say about this. Right. So I'm hoping it carries that forward that we do see some kind of change like this happen because it took away from a great fight and a great performance for Kiara France. I don't think he has anything to worry about with the rankings and slipping out of contention or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's a big win for Albazi that now – I believe he's 17 and one something like that. And he's going to be in line for a title shot. I know he was asking for one that could be in the near future. And, but to be honest with you, I wouldn't mind seeing this get ran back either. I'd like to, I'd like to see some changes. Just the only thing that scares me, well, not even scares me that like concerns me is this isn't like, you know, the NFL or NHL or any of the other major leagues making a change where, Hey, we make a decision. Everybody's got to follow it. Mm -hmm. This is like, you know, UFC's got a fair amount of pull and a fair amount of power, but you've also got how many athletic commissions they got to deal with. And then it's got to go through the athletic commissions and they got to approve it. And this is this whole thing. Well, like, 
UFC can scream and say that this has got to get changed until they're blue in the face and the cows come home. Yeah. But if the athletic commissions, which hold all of the power, don't want to play ball, they don't have to. Right. But I think this is going to be a catalyst to get some talk going. It could be. So, uh, like I say, I don't expect this to happen at the next fight. Right. No. God, no. But I do think that we will still hear about this going into what we're going to talk about next. Mm -hmm. Because this is not going to go away anytime soon, especially with social media buzzing about this in the MMA world. Like I say, this is not a huge argument but it's gaining steam and i've been getting hit up about it over the past couple days like what did i think about it and that's why i figured let's address it on the show because i don't want it to take away from the amazing fights we have coming this weekend yeah because the ufc is going back to pay-per-view hell yeah and there's a big big co-main event that is going to cap off this amazing night of UFC 289. So, Pat, let's talk about it. Yeah, so taking place this Saturday uh, from the Rogers Arena in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, it is UFC 289. Uh, and some of the fights you've got on the main card, Dan Ige is appearing on there, Mark andre uh, Baralut, I think is how you say it, mm -hmm. uh, taking on Eric Anders. Uh, but the two main of the two two fights we got going on, the co-main event and then the main event, we're going to talk about. Uh, the first of which being the co-main event is in the lightweight division between Charles Oliveira and Benil Darouche. Yeah, like I say, this is I can't stress enough. Like you have two solid main events. So, like I say, however you want to pick whichever one is the main event, you can't go wrong. This is huge for the lightweight division. Yeah. Charles Oliveira, former champion who has stumbled a little bit since his astronomical rise to the title. And obviously, his, his reign as champion, um, I don't want to say polarizing, but yeah. uh, but I, I think you're going to ask fans and you'll get a little bit of different reactions about it. Taking on somebody that has been long overdue to be in that title talk in Benil Darush. Mm -hmm. Pat, I know you got the records up. Yeah, so for Charles Oliveira, he is in 43 professional matches, has a record of 33 wins, nine losses, one no contest, uh, currently on a one-fight losing streak. Uh, he lost to Islam Machekov via arm triangle choke submission at UFC 280. That was back in October. Uh, prior to that, he was on a, holy good goddamn, mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven fight winning streak, uh, beating the likes of Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee, Jared Gordon, Nick Lentz, David Tamir, Jim Miller, uh, Christos Giagos, and Clay Guida uh, in order. Uh, and then you've got his opponent, Benil Darouche, who in 27 professional matches has a record of 22 wins, four losses, one draw, currently on a good lord. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight or nine fight win streak, uh, beating the lights of Matsuz Gamera, uh, Tony Ferguson, Carlos Diego Ferreira, Scott Holtzman, Holtzman, excuse me, uh, Drakar Close, Frank Camacho, Drew Dober, and Tiago Mo, uh, Moises. Uh, his last loss was to Alexander Hernandez at via knockout at UFC 222 on March the 3rd, 2018. Yeah. Darush is along the same lines of Leon Edwards and Aljamain Sterling in the sense of they've had a fight a long way mm -hmm. to get in the title contention. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't happened yet for Darush for for whatever reason. 
But this is probably the biggest fight of his career, yeah. without question. Uh, dude was on a hell of a run there because he had three performance of the nights in a row. Mm. Uh, then he had a bit of a stumbling block uh, against his Scott Holtzman fight. Uh, it was a catchway fight because he missed weight. Dirish missed weight. Yeah. Uh, and then he came back and won and beat uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira via split decision and, f- and got fight of the night award. Yeah, like he's going to put on a performance. I, I always say... I associate him a lot with Leon Edwards. Like they're very technically sound. Yeah, you're not going to see a lot of trash talk. You're not no. going to see a lot of highlight stuff. Just technically sound, and especially at the 155 pound division, like that's huge. But taking on Charles Oliveira, who I believe really needs this fight more, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. But you think about Oliveira when he got to become champion. Had the missed weight issue. He did win, and yeah. then and then they went on to the fight against Machev. And he did not look like Oliveira in that fight. Well, so, yeah, you mentioned, the, you know, the issue with the Justin Gaethje fight. That was Oliveira missed weight at 155.5 pounds. He was stripped of the belt. Mm-hmm. Only Gaethje was eligible to win the title. So I think even you and I were like, ultimate chaos is going to happen with this fight. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so only Gaethje could win the belt. And, of course, Oliveira won. So the belt was vacant, you know, and then you got to the next fight with Islam Machekov for the vacant uh, lightweight championship, and Islam won. Yeah, Islam won via submission, which if you know Oliveira's history. <laughs> 21 of his uh, 33 wins are by submission. Yeah. He's arguably one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu pr- practitioners on the planet. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he got submitted is insane to me. But like we said during that fight recap when we talked about it, he did not look the same. Like no. he I don't know if he got it into his head for whatever reason. I know Machev is is arguably There's a mystique. Has that mystique, yeah, thank you. He has that mystique about him that is psyching fighters out. And I didn't think that was going to happen with Oliveira because Oliveira is very well traveled. Like for right. being in the one forty five pound division to the one fifty fives. He's been somebody in the same vein of a Max Holloway. Like yeah. they've fluctuated between both weight classes and they've always scrapped. Yeah. And especially in Oliveira's case, I mean, to go on this fight streak that he had, to get the belt, to lose it in the fashion he did, mm-hmm. I think he needs a dominant performance here mm-hmm. to really say he's still one of the elite 155s. It's yeah. crazy to say, but it's true. Yeah, I mean, Oliveira is seasoned. He's not exactly a spring chicken in this. Like I mentioned, he's got 43 professional matches. His first professional match, or match is, I should say, because wait till I blow your mind with this stat. His first professional match was on March 15th, 2008. He fought three times in one night. Yeah. He beat one dude in the first round with a rear naked choke submission for his first win. That was at two minutes and 11 seconds. Came back that same night. You don't believe me, folks. Look up Charles Oliveira, Wikipedia, and then go to the mixed martial arts record. Came back that same night, knocked a dude out in the second round at two minutes and 47 seconds. Mm -hmm. Came back a third time that night and knocked another dude out. At two minutes and 30 seconds of the first round. Yeah. And oh, by the way, his first amateur match, the, the only one we're aware of, according to his Wikipedia page, it was in November 3rd of 2007. So this dude has been this dude has been fighting, you know, MMA since I graduated high school. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. He's no joke. Like I say, he's very well traveled. And for being a practitioner of, uh, you know, jujitsu as he is, like I say, he was going on a, a, a crazy streak of submissions, and I, I still believe he has the most in UFC history. I think so. Just with how much he's done, and especially if you see him fight in there, 
I think that this is going to be one that he's going to want to end this super quick. Yeah, he, so I'm looking. He does have the record for the most uh, some, most submissions with uh, looks like 16. Yeah, I believe it. Like he is just somebody, if you watch in the cage, especially in his stretch run to the belt, like he can pull off some stuff that you have never seen before. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say Darush is going to be an easy walk over by uh, any means. Of Darush's four losses, three are by knockout, one is by submission, none are by decision. Right. This is going to be finished one way or another. Uh-huh. But I tell you what, I think this is Oliveira all day. Yeah. It's nothing against Darush. I think Darush is very solid, but it just goes to see where he ranks with the elite, and especially in the sense of in comparison to Oliveira, I think the skill set's just not there. I think that Oliveira is going to take him into the third round, and I think that that's where he gets the sub. Mm-hmm. But I think Darush is going to give him some fits in that first round. It just depends on what Oliveira we get. Do we get the fighter that's hungry to get his belt back, or do we get the one that's very comfortable where he's at? Right. I think we're going to know fairly early on which Oliveira has shown up, and it's going to be very apparent. But I do. Th- I agree with you. I think it's going to be Oliveira. I think he's got a little bit to prove. He's got a, he's got a chip on his shoulder. You know, he's been hearing a lot of chirping. You know, it's been a little couple of months since, you know, he lost to Islam. Yeah. You know, and that was at the UFC 280, like I mentioned. So he's going to go want to go out there. He's got something to prove that, like, hey, my title win wasn't a fluke. This wasn't like a, a hand a handout trophy. I am a legit contender, and he's going to want to go out there and beat Teresa. I'm going to say mid to late third round. Yeah. I, I Like, I think it's going to happen that way, too. And then. Well, things get very interesting at 155 because you're either going to have Oliveira throw his name back in that top-tier mm-hmm. contention yeah. or Darush is going to be undeniable for the next title fight. Yeah, because Oliveira, as we currently record, is the number one contender for the UFC lightweight division, uh, and then Darush is the number four-ranked fighter. Yeah, so this is high stakes for the lightweight division, so it's mm-hmm. going to be a fun fight. But like we say, there's two excellent main events for this card. Oh, yeah. And the main event on paper here is definitely worthy of the billing because one of the greatest of all time is returning to the octagon. Yeah, she is. Uh, this is in the UFC women's bantamweight division where champion, double champion, Amanda Nunes, the legend killer, is stepping into the octagon to take on Irene Aldana. Uh, looking at Amanda Nunes's record in 27 professional matches, she has won 22 of them, lost five of them, currently on a one-fight winning streak, having beaten Juliana Pena via unanimous decision that was back in July of last year. Uh, and that was for the Women's Bantamweight Championship. Prior to that, uh, she lost to Pena uh, back in December of 2021. But why do I call her the legend killer? Well, for the simple fact, she's beaten Juliana Pena. Uh, she's beaten Holly Holm, Chris Cyborg, Raquel Pennington, Valentina Shevchenko, Ronda Rousey, Mina, Misha Tate, Sarah McCann, Shayna Baszler. You know, like it's a real short list of folks she hasn't beaten. She's beaten a who's who of women's MMA. Legend killer. Mm-hmm. Like argue, I don't even think there's an argument about this. She's the nope. she's the goat of women's MMA. She's cleaned out an entire fucking division to the point. And folks, I've said this before. I'll say it again. This is not a joke. UFC.com/slash/rankings. Scroll to the bottom there. You'll see Amanda Nunes in the bantamweight division, which is a loaded division. It's got uh, 15 folks listed there. And you go over right next to it. Women's featherweight. Amanda Nunes. 
champion. And then the rendering of her with both titles, one on each shoulder. Uh, again, how many names and numbers are there under that featherweight division? Oh, zero. Yeah, there's nothing there. No, that is. That, She's cleaned out that division. That the, yeah, that division is dissolved. And the only chance it was going to come back is if they signed Chris Cyborg to come back, and they did not. Yep. Because that is the only fight, in my opinion, that makes sense for Nunez at this stage. Mm-hmm. Hall of Fame career. The fact that she's taking this fight, and especially is a replacement fight, too, because Julian Pena was supposed to get the rematch. Mm. She was injured and I believe had to pull out. So oh, that's too bad. So that's why I say Aldania is in this. And obviously a very worthy contender, number oh, five yeah. on the rankings. Uh, one of the bigger tests of her career, uh, let's give her her due, uh, in 20 professional matches, has a record of 14 wins, six losses, currently on a two-fight winning streak, uh, winning both of her last fights via knockout. So, hey, kudos to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, just looking at her record, the uh, biggest fights she's had are against Leslie Smith, Caitlin Chukagan, uh, Raquel Pennington, and then Holly Holm, all of whom she has lost to. Yeah. Uh, so this is a massive test because, hey, nothing against Holly, you know, Raquel, Caitlin, or Leslie. Uh, Amanda's on a whole other level. Yeah. There's like five levels between them and Amanda. Mm-hmm. And there's no shame in this either. Like I say, uh, Amanda Nunez is just a legendary fighter. Mm-hmm. She will go down as one of the greats of all MMA. I'll say that, you know, the saying iron sharpens iron. Well, Amanda's a whole other level of iron. And I cannot fault Irene for getting presented the opportunity and going, you know what? Fuck it. Why not? Well, that's the whole thing you should do, because if we know anything of watching this sport, it's always a chance. There's always a chance, and you have to take a look at how Nunez lost. Yeah, Juliana Pena beat her. Yeah, in one of the craziest upsets in all of MMA history. Rear naked choke submission at three minutes and twenty six seconds of the second round. Yeah, and the betting odds that oh night, my God, still were absolutely astronomical. But that's the beauty of this sport, and Nunez is back and ready to defend her titles and solidify her legacy. I mean, at this stage, I don't know how much there is for her as of interest to fight. Yeah. But I think that while she's in the cage, we have to just enjoy the time we have watching a legend yeah. do their craft. I uh, looked up the the betting odds from that fight. According to UFC.com, the odds on Amanda Nunes to win were minus 1,000. Uh, Juliana Pena was a plus 650. That is still crazy. I think it was even higher, like going into that. Yeah, but still. Yeah, the fact that it was that high. And, yeah, and Pena pulled off the win. Still, I mean, that's a that's a big feather yeah. in her cap too, and especially they will run it back if oh, yeah. if, if Nunez wins this one. Yeah, if if Nunez wins this one, that's her next fight. Yeah, they'll Bar- barring anything batshit crazy happening, and that could be it. To be honest with you, I could see it. Well, I mean, just you have to take a look at the, who else is there, and especially. We know that they're not going to do another fight with her and Valentina Shevchenko. Right, and she just turned 35. Her birthday, uh, uh, Amanda did, I should say, uh, because she uh, turned 35 at the end of May. Mm-hmm. So she ain't, she ain't getting any younger. And listen, she's done everything she possibly can. I mean, I'm looking at that division. Uh, you got Juliana Pena, Raquel Pennington, Holly Holm, who she's all beaten. You know, uh, and that's the first three. You've got uh, Caitlin uh, Vieira, Caitlin Vieira, number four, Irene Aldana at number five, who she's facing this weekend. Yana Santos at number six. Uh, seven is Penny uh, Kinazad. 
Uh, eight is uh, Macy uh, Chieson. Carol Rosa is number eight. Uh, Myra Bueno Silva is number 10. Misha Tate is at number 11. Julia Alvila is number 12. Norma Dumont is 13. Uh, Josanne Nunez is number 14. Don't know if there's any relation there. Uh, and then 14 is Chelsea Chandler. Yeah. And I think at this stage, too, I mean, like I say, I don't see anybody that's emerging as a superstar to really test her on this level at this stage. Mm-hmm. And I, every division goes through this, too. Yeah. So yeah, just, yeah. just to make that very clear. And so with that said, I think Nunez takes this one. I think Aldania has one chance at this, and that's somehow getting the advantage with striking. Mm-hmm. Aldania could throw some hands. Yeah, yeah. But – when you're talking about going up against the greatest of all time. Who's got 13 wins via knockout. Yeah. I mean, it's a tall task. Yeah. Do I think that she has a chance? Yes. Do I think she's going to win? No. No. Sorry. I like. I think this would be one of the biggest upsets in MMA history, but I think Nunez takes this one out in the second round. We'll say Nunez is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a brown belt in judo. Yeah. She ain't fucking around. No, she might try taking this to the ground, which might throw some people off because we've seen her do a lot of knockouts. If she starts playing with her, watch out. No, I, I think she's going to want to end this quick. Yeah, maybe. If if I have to make an assumption about how this fight plays out, I think Aldania is going to keep her at enough distance in the first round with the jabs mm-hmm. to cause some fits. Yeah. I think the second round, Nunez is done playing around and goes straight for a takedown and works a sub because I think she wants to get back in the cage as quickly as possible oh, yeah. to face Pena. And that's it. And then we see what happens at that fight. Right. Because in all honesty, I just I don't see any other scenario playing out. And like I said, if Aldania pulls off the upset, kudos to her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I just don't see how it's going to happen. Just the skill set's not there in my opinion. And I think for Nunez, she understands the legacies there. After losing to Pena, she came back with a vengeance. Yeah. And I think now that she knows there's really very few fights that interest her, mm-hmm. and especially putting herself through a camp yeah. at, at her age, Yeah. I, I I think she just has other priorities she wants to do. It don't get any easier going through fight camps the older you get. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there's the motivations there too. Like yeah. I said, she has other things that she wants to do, and I could I could see her just having she, a couple more. Hint, she's hinted at that before too. Yeah. That like, ah, I, you know, I got other stuff I want to do. Yeah. So you know what? I fully see her making short work second round. It's done. It's, yeah. it's not going to the third. The, this ain't going decision. That's I, for damn sure. I would be very very shocked if it did. But I think Nunez takes this one, and then we just wait till Pena's back and healthy, and we go from there with that. Mm-hmm. A lot of storylines coming out of UFC 289 this weekend. But definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. We gave you our thoughts on UFC 289, and there's a lot of them to be had because there's two great main events on this card that we definitely have to give proper due to because we're going to have either a a lightweight contender emerge or we're going to have some talk about Oliveira's return for the belt and then Amanda Nunez, Will she be as dominant as ever and obviously just add another name to the legacy list of contenders that she has taken care of? And then what about the judge's decision from the UFC fight night? I know that that is going to be something that is going to carry a little more buzz going into the weekend, but what is your thoughts about that? And before we go to speaking of that fight night, we definitely have to mention Jim Miller. Hey. The legend with a 20-second knockout in the first round. Yeah. 
Uh, still, he's he's fighting Father Time, and he's still looking great doing it. He's fighting Father Time, and right now he's winning. Yeah, so we have to give our hats off to him, too, and what's going to happen with him next is anybody's guess, too. A lot of stuff to talk about the UFC, so definitely hit us up on the hashtag, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, all, I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And let's talk some basketball, Pad. Hell yeah. The NBA Finals are in full swing, and mm-hmm. the storylines here, the Miami Heat, are far from done. What did I say was going to happen? Game one, not even close. Yep. Game two is going to be the real test. And what happened? Game one, not even close. The 104-93 win for Miami. Came back game two. Miami won game two. Miami stole one in game two. Yes. Because Denver should have had this one outright. There's no question in my mind about this. But I think we saw a couple storylines pop up here. Mm -hmm. Game one was Denver was rested and ready to rock and make a statement win. We both were saying about that. As I mentioned on last week's episode, by the time game one of the NBA Finals tipped, Denver will have rested for a week and a half. Yeah, and they looked it too. They were ready to go. Game two, though, this was a tale of two halves. Mm Mm-hmm. Denver looked sharp in the first half. Yep. But that second half, yeah, I'm going to say it was more being new to the playoffs and not realizing you can't take the foot off the gas pedal Yeah, because they did. And the there was a clear lack of effort uh-huh. in comparison to the first half. I mean, just looking at the strict numbers, I mean, you can see that uh, because like you mentioned, uh, Denver leading in the first half as they went to halftime. And then you just look at the numbers, you know, third quarter, uh, the Denver Nuggets got more points in the third quarter, 26 to 24. Then you get to that fourth quarter, uh, 36 to 25 in favor of Miami. Yeah. Miami completely dominated that fourth quarter and it wasn't even funny. And the thing is for being such a young team, in the playoffs, yeah. and granted, Denver has looked sharp in these playoffs. Yeah. They're not exactly completely new. I'll say up until game two of the NBA Finals, undefeated at home in the NBA playoffs. Right. And now they've got a loss. But this was a situation they took the foot off the gas pedal. Mm-hmm. They were pumping the brakes. Yeah, maybe. And they went too slow and they ran out of gas because this team's hustle just disappeared in that quarter. Mm-hmm. And you can't say otherwise. And you can't rely on Jokic to carry you through. Mm-hmm. 41 points in that game is nothing to sneeze at. But if you're going to beat the Heat, who we've said this time and time again, mm-hmm. have literally nothing to lose. They're not supposed to be here to begin with. Right. They're the eighth seed. Yeah. The fact that you let them hang around and scrap with you instead of kicking them off the gym, this is the problem that you're going to need to fix. And especially going into the final minutes of the game, and there's a great question I want to ask you about. Sure. When Miami was up by three with only 11 seconds left, uh huh. Denver got the ball back on the missed shot. They got the uh, defensive rebound. Sure. They're 
they had a chance to call timeout. Michael Malone, their coach, had some he could he could have called. Yeah. He didn't. Mm. Do you agree with the player? No. No, uh, because I feel like in that pressure situation, you got to draw something up, contingency plan, like, hey, if X happens, we got to do Y. If A happens, we got to do B. You know, and, and that high, especially for as fresh and new as some of the players on Denver are to the playoffs, you know, they're, they're not, they're, listen, they're not seasoned. They haven't been there, you know, like Jimmy Butler, Kevin Love, you know, Adebayo, and all, some of the other ones, you know. Yeah, they got the two-time MVP with Jokic, but there's it. You know, it's a whole other level when you get to those pressure moments in the finals. You know, I I would have called a timeout and gone, "Hey, listen, let's game plan, let's come up with something," rather than kind of go off the cuff. If I if I have a choice between going off the cuff and coming up with a game plan, please game plan every time. So the only time you go off the cuff is if you're listening to Tom Craven. This is true, but in this situation, there's only one thing you can do, and you have to call a timeout. Yeah. I know this has been very highly debated on sports media. Sure. But I'm going to tell you why. We take a look at that fourth quarter. Yeah. And the Heat outscored Denver 36-25. to 25. Yep. So your team is struggling to put up points this late. Mm-hmm. I can understand trusting Yosh. I can understand trusting Murray. But I can't understand trusting them when the effort is not there. Oh, so Jokic had 41 points. Murray had 18 points. Right. But if your team is struggling at this stage in the game, mm-hmm. you have to calm them down yeah. and get them at least organized for one last shot. I mean, you see a lot of teams do this when one side gets a bunch of baskets in a row. You're off. Shots off. You're fumbling the ball mishandle whatever and the crowd is just at a fever pitch Mm -hmm. that like they're not sitting down they're jumping up and down they're screaming they're cheering you can barely hear the announcers and that's when you that's when you see a a coach go all right hey time out let's take a minute let's breathe you know let's collect ourselves let's talk about this you know and then you come you the tv broadcast will go to a commercial break they'll come back 30 to 60 seconds later whatever it ends up being you know and and the crowd a lot quieter the team looks maybe a little bit better, you would hope. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why that's why timeouts in crucial situations are good. Yeah. I in this situation you have to. And I understand the theory is, well, you we would have gave Miami time to call a defensive play. Listen, we all knew the ball was going to two people yeah. at the end here. It's not a secret. It wasn't a secret. It was going to Jokic. Who had twenty eight field goal attempts. Right. Or it was going to Murray. Who had fifteen. Right. And Murray got the shot off because he couldn't get rid of the ball. He shot a very good shot. It was contested. Yeah, oh, yeah. But who else didn't think the ball was going to go to one of those two? If you don't believe anybody else was going to get the ball, folks, of the players not named Jokic or Murray who played in the game, nobody else was in double figures for field goals attempted. Yeah. Aaron Gordon had seven attempted field goals. Porter Jr. had eight attempted field goals. Uh, KCP had four attempted field goals. Green had one. Uh, Brown had nine, uh, Braun, their other guard, uh, who came off the bench had three. Mm -hmm. Like at this point, it's pretty goddamn clear who's getting the ball. Yeah. So it wouldn't have mattered. Like Spolcher could have called up a timeout or could have called up a defense play during the timeout. It still wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. You, you know, one of two options. That's all you got in that situation. At that point, try and double the both of them and let somebody else try and beat you. Yeah. You have to give some faith to some of the other shooters. And this is a situation that they're going to have to learn from. Yeah. Because now you're going to Miami. Uh Uh-huh. 
whole different ball game. Miami is going to be back on their court. As we are recording, Tyler Hero has not been officially cleared to play. Mm. But if he can, this is going to be huge. That'll help. Just to have some boost of him on the court is going to be amazing for Mm -hmm. the Heat because then Denver has to game plan. Even if he's not a crucial factor of the game, you still have to game plan for Hero to take some pressure off Jimmy Butler. Right. Because this is literally going to be Jimmy Butler's show down in Miami. Bam, if he shows up, Mm -hmm. is going to be a factor as well. I don't know if he's going to be that much of a factor because Adebayo hasn't looked amazing at times. But then again, when you got the league's MVP or runner-up, if you will, this season. Unofficial MVP. Unofficial on you, that's going to halt your game up a little bit. Let's give him his due. Bam did look good game one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Had 26 points. Yeah. It was the leading scorer for game one. Right, but he's for, well for the Heat. Right, but especially now with momentum swinging back to their way, they're going to need to win Game Three. Right, completely. Right, but if you're Denver, I don't want to say this is a must win, but I think you have to make this a must win. Oh yeah, just for the simple fact that if you let momentum swing back to Miami, especially on their home court for a couple games, mm-hmm. you're going to be at a very disservice. Yeah, and especially for a team that is reeling from losing at home. And with one of the most embarrassing fourth quarters. Now, granted, yeah, they still put up 24 in that fourth quarter. Still Atlanta Falcons fourth quarter. Right. This is very, very true. <laughs> but for a team that had that game in their grasp mm-hmm. and let it slip, yeah, you need to come back. You need to have a real strong performance in Miami. Mm-hmm. Because if you let Miami sneak and get 2-1 up on you. I'll say the next two games are in Miami. Yeah. It's going to be a problem. And for what it's worth, looking at the spread for the game uh, that's on Wednesday as we record, uh, currently the Denver Nuggets are favored by two and a half. It's a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. I could have handicapped that in my humble ODPH opinion as a minus four. Uh, And if you don't like that spread and you like the money line, it is Denver by minus 150, uh, Miami by plus 126. So... It's going to be a real test for them to pull this off. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest about this. But it's nothing that I'm still taking Denver in this, and I'm still taking them to win the series. Right. But I need to see something out of them Yeah. for a full four quarters. Yeah. And sure, you can say, well, they did in game one. Yeah, they did. Because they were on a week and a half rest. Right. But now you have a Miami team that's back in the groove because obviously they had a hard-fought series against Boston. Yeah. They've really scratched and clawed their way to get here to the finals. We knew they were going to be tired in game one. We did say game two was going to be a different ball game, but Denver needed that game. They let it slip. Now they need to bounce back, and I think they're going to. I I would think so. You know, it's been enough time since game two, the game planning, get everything ready and and kind of figure out, okay, what went wrong? Let's try to correct those actions. You know, I I think they will bounce back, but it's not going to be easy because – as uh, we're intimately familiar with over the last decade or so, uh, those Miami fans, especially when it comes to the playoffs, they get rocking. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So it's going to be a tough test for the Denver Nuggets. Mm-hmm. But it's nothing they can't overcome. Like That is the key point to this. But what team is going to show up? And I hate saying that at this stage. Yeah, but because, you got to bring it up. But considering how bad they played in that second half, if that's something that's a precursor for what's to come, Mm-hmm. I would be concerned, sure. not not panicking, but I'd be concerned about what I see on the court. Sure. Because if otherwise, 
it should be Denver's to win. But if it's going to be swinging the other way, Miami could sneak this game and this series out. It could it could happen. I mean, I did hear a couple of commentators switch their picks and take the Heat in six. Mm. I'm not willing to do that. No, not yet. No, absolutely not. I don't think there's any point too, but what is going to be the challenge is can Denver capture the magic of game one? Can they really push the pace, especially on an opposing court? Mm-hmm. Because Miami's fans, if you can take them out of the game early, and they're raucous. They're raucous, but if you can take them out early, that is a big, big plus to you. Case in point, what the San Antonio Spurs did until some dude named Ray Allen hit a three. Yep. If you can do that. Because they left. They'll be fine. Oh, I could see if hypothetically saying, let's say Denver gets up by 18 yeah. in this game for right. whatever reason. Second half, yeah. That arena will be a ghost town. Oh, yeah. It'll be, it'll be silent. It'll be silent. Yeah. And that's what Denver needs to do. They need somebody to step up and really take some pressure off Murray to because like I say with Jokic, we know what we're getting out yeah, of him. Yeah. But this is a situation for the rest of the team that yeah, you got punched in the mouth in that second half. Oh yeah. And they looked like a shell of the team that was the number one seed throughout this entire playoffs. I'm sorry, like No, yeah, you're right. I'm being extra critical about it because they have so much talent on this team. If you really want to be a serious contender yeah. and a serious champion. Yeah. You need to play like that. Yeah. And that's something that I want to see out of this team. But if your coach is just kind of sitting there and just yeah. not making some changes and you know, it comes down to that timeout, which I'm sorry, you might get a pass from some people about not calling that timeout. I'm going to say, no, you absolutely you, should. You should. If you got, if you got them, use them. If your team is rattled as badly as they were to blow that lead. Yeah. You need to call that timeout. Yeah. And don't say it was, well, I was worried about having Spolstra coach me. Guess what? You're in the finals. It, it, it's it's kind of like with the video I saw the other day with Marshawn Lynch talking about the Patriots Super Bowl the other day. Where, like, a lot of people, a lot of fan, uh, players on the Seahawks team, you know, if, if it would have been four runs with Marshawn and, and the Patriots stopped him all four times, they're not mad about that Super Bowl loss because, hey, you know what? You went up against one of the best running backs in the league and you stonewalled him. Mm -hmm. But because they went with the pass and a lot of the Seahawks players are pissed about that, that Super Bowl loss. Yeah. If if you go into that game, you know, against the, the, the Heat and Spolster, who is does not get enough credit, I feel, for the coaching job he does. Oh, absolutely not. Because, oh, it's, well, he had LeBron, and he had Wade, and he had Bosh, and he had Shaq, and he's got Jimmy Butler, and he's got Hero, and he's got Bam. Yeah, that's true, but he's still got to coach these guys. He's still got a game plan. He's still got to come up with all these schemes. If it comes to the If it comes to it, and and I if I'm the head coach of the Nuggets and I call the timeout and he and Spolster beats me because of what he did defensively, hey, I'm not mad about that because you know what? He was the they were the better team. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that because you didn't go that way. Exactly. So game three has now become more pivotal than I think anybody had imagined. Probably. So now we're gonna have to see what team shows up in Miami. Mm -hmm. Will it be a dominant Denver Nuggets, or will the Heat continue to find a way to win? If I'm the Denver Nuggets, and if anyone from the Denver Nuggets is listening, hi, uh, glad, you, glad you're listening. I would employ the Bill Belichick method of scoring, where 
until that clock hit zero, keep fucking scoring. Mm-hmm. I remember the Patriots game against the now Washington Commanders, then Washington, bum, 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 bum. then Washington, something else, where they were up by three scores. Mm-hmm. This was the, like the 2000s year with Brady, Moss, Dante Stallworth, Wes Welker, you know, that, that whole legendary offense. They were up by three scores. Did they pull the starters and put in the second string guys? No. They were scoring until they were up by 40 points. Yeah. And it was very well in hand. That's what Denver is going to need to do. Denver do that. Yes. And they're going to need some more of the role players that really step up and play better. Michael Porter Jr., KCP, they're going to need some people to really drive that point home and carry them to the next couple games. Because if you're lying too much on Murray and Jokic, and we saw that with the end of game two, somebody's really going to need to dig deep and find something to hit that shot because those two are going to get focused on by Miami and they're daring literally them for somebody else to step up. So Denver will have their work cut out for them. And for Miami, a lot of momentum going into game three. If they can steal game three, though, that is going to be crushing to Denver. Mm-hmm. Not insurmountable that they can't come back, but that's going to be crushing. But we'll have to wait to see what happens for game three Wednesday night. 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ABC. In the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about the NBA Finals as they are right now? How do you feel about Denver going into Miami, and what do you think about the Heat? Do they have a chance? Are you saying there's a chance? Let's talk about it, shall we? But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you like comic books? What about movies and TV shows? Well, we may be the show for you. We're Hops Geek News, a weekly podcast that discusses comics, movies, and TV shows while featuring a beer of the week. Every week we chat about what we messed up on the week before, and then we dive into what we're reading and watching, as well as some news. We then wrap it up with a geek-themed topic of the week. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching Hops Geek News. Cheers. Cheers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and let's talk some pro wrestling, shall we, Pad? Hell yeah. The road to Money in the Bank in London is heating up, and yeah. a lot of storylines are really kicking into high gear in the WWE side of yeah. things. And Monday Night Raw definitely added some more fuel to that fire, so let's go talk about it, shall we? Yeah, so Monday Night Raw, we had a couple of qualifying matches uh, that took place on the women's side of thing for the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, we found out on uh, Friday that Zelina Vega was one of the ones who qualified uh, on the SmackDown side mm-hmm. of things, be- beating uh, Lacey Evans in a very good, very good match, very quick match. Uh, but last night we found out that Becky Lynch and uh, Zoe Stark qualified on the Monday Night Raw side of things. Uh, Becky Lynch match taking place against uh, Sonya Deville mm. with Chelsea Green at ringside. Uh, you know, even 50-50 match, I would say, for most of it until uh, you had a certain laugh uh, hit and then a certain Hall of Famer come out with her new protege with Trish Stratus and Zoe Stark. Uh, Try to get some shenanigans and distract her. Did not work uh, because, as I mentioned, Becky emerged victorious. Then later in the night, you had uh, Zoe Starks competing in a match where I, I'll be honest, you know, it took place after the Becky match. I figured, oh, the way things went earlier tonight, said while I was watching my girlfriend, Liz Bailey, I went, oh, yeah, at some point, Becky Lynch's music is going to hit here. Didn't hit. Uh, Zoe Stark picked up the win and what was a decent match. So Zoe Stark uh, qualifying for the women's money in the bank ladder match. Oh, both of these make perfect sense. I mean, yeah. Becky adds a lot of star power to that match. Mm-hmm. And for Zoe, I mean, I'm not surprised at that. It's, she has a very big upside with the WWE main roster. Yeah. The only thing I've ever said 
is she needs to work on a character, but when you're under the tutelage of Trish Stratus, that uh-huh. will develop over time. So yeah. perfectly all right with this. Uh, still got to fill out the remainder of the field, which I'm uh, going off of the Wikipedia page for Money in the Bank. Uh, the remaining women who have yet to qualify for this, it looks like it will be uh, Mi Chin, Mia Yim, or Bailey, uh, and then Shotzi or Eo Sky, uh, and then uh, the versus a to be determined. So it looks like there's still some filling out some spaces in there. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm going to go with, for the early money, probably Becky Lynch. It's like the last thing she's got left to do. Yeah, I could see Becky doing that. I, but I'll be honest with you. I don't doubt EO Sky. I could see it. I really don't. Yeah, I could see it. You know, I'm just going to say it right now because I think it'll cause more tension with her and Bailey. Yeah. I think they're teetering on breaking up damage control. We know, unfortunately, yeah. Dakota Kai is out for a while. Uh, ACL injury. Yeah. yeah. So, obviously, yeah. wishing her a speedy, healthy recovery. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, that said, I think that we could see damage control go away unless they want to add somebody to it. Mm-hmm. I just don't know who. Yeah. So. We'll have to wait and see, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then on the men's side of things, we know that Ricochet and Shinsuke Nakamura uh, have qualified on the Monday Night Raw side of things uh, for the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, this past Friday, we found out that L.A. Knight yeah. qualified. Uh, and that is the remaining field we have yet to figure out is, uh, according to the Wikipedia page, is they're going uh, between Santos Escobar or Mustafa Ali. This is according to the Wikipedia page, so take it for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Butch or Baron Corbin, which is interesting because those guys are on uh, between Mustafa Ali and Baron Corbin. They're on NXT right now. So we'll see reasons. Uh, and then Matt Riddle or TBA. So a couple of names filled in there. But the ones we do know for sure are Ricochet, Shinsuke, and L.A. Knight. Yeah. Uh, who is my pick to win this whole goddamn thing. Oh, L.A. Knight for the win. Yeah. I, I think unless Montez Ford gets back in there for whatever reason. I could see it. Uh, this is his to lose. I'm sorry. L.A. Knight is so over right now. Mm-hmm. It's not even funny. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah, it is. He wasn't even on Night of Champions, and you had the pre-show press conference, whatever it was, the day before mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia, and the fans were chanting his name. Oh, yeah. He, he wasn't even in a match, and they're chanting for him. Well, that's why I say. He can win the belt, and then he will have some time to go after WrestleMania to cash in. Sure. Unless they want him to. Like I say, he's a heel right now, so unless they do some really weird thing with Seth Rollins, I I think he's going to stay away from Roman Reigns. I don't don't think that's going to happen. But it will be interesting to see what happens if he wins. And Mm -hmm. like I say, the only thing else that I could see happening is like if Montez Ford comes back in for whatever reason. Right. Or if they really want to surprise everybody and throw a Cameron Grimes in there. I could see it. As the mystery TBA. Well, I think that the mystery TBA is going to be one, uh, adrenaline. In my soul, something, something, Cody Rhodes. And not because he's going to win it. Let's not forget, he issued a challenge last week on mm-hmm. Monday Night Raw to Brock Lesnar where he listed all of these dates and all of these cities off where he's like, hey, you want to come fight me? Here's my schedule. Come fight me in one of these cities. And Brock Lesnar, as of this recording, has yet to say a peep about it, despite mm. being spotted in a couple public locations in Montana. Yeah. Uh, but. What I think is going to happen is Cody's going to make it into this match, even though he's still selling the broken arm angle. If it's legit or not, I have no idea, but he's still selling that his arm is broken. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be Cody Rhodes is one of the final entrants for this thing, and then we will get a scenario where Brock shows up at Money in the Bank, costs Cody the Money in the Bank briefcase. Like, it'll be one of those scenarios. Cody's climbing the brief, climbing the ladder, almost reaching the briefcase. Camera cuts to a wide-angle shot, wide shot, or maybe the hard cam shot from a close-up. And so we go, oh, my God, Brock Lesnar's here. And he pushes the thing over, costs Cody the the briefcase, and looks at him and goes, 
I accept your your match. Yeah. And then we get the setup for because they're not going to do this at, at Money in the Bank. They're going to do it at SummerSlam. It's always going to be SummerSlam. Yeah. Like this yeah. is what we've talked about between here and six oh seven TWS. Like we've all said this is going to be Cody Brock SummerSlam main event. And it's going to be the last of their trilogy. Yep. And I'm I'm going to be the first one to say it. It's hell in a cell. Okay. So we'll see if Current I'm right. Rumor is it's is is it's a stipulation that has not been seen in a while. So what that could be, I don't know. The rumor was Cody wanted to do a dog collar match, right? And it got shot down, right? Which I'm completely fine with because the reason being is how many have we seen in AEW? Yeah, we don't need to see it in WWE for no. quite some time. No, just putting it out there. No. So I that's why I say I think Hell in a Cell would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it it would to me. But we'll have to wait to see how it all shapes up. Yeah. Uh, and then some other WWE news uh, going on. Well, first, well, first before we leave Monday Night Raw, rest in peace, Dominic Mysterio. Cody Rhodes verbally killed that. Oh man. my god! Holy fuck! If you amazing haven't amazing promo segment. If you haven't seen that promo segment, that was good. Uh, also, the match between Kevin Owens and Gunther. Holy fuck! Yeah, uh, I, I love the work Kevin Owens is doing with where he's just kind of slightly unhinged and just doesn't give a fuck. Where he's backstage talking with Sami Zayn. You know, Giovanni Vinci and the rest of Imperium show up, and he's like, "Why, why, are, why are you guys here again? To watch? You want to fight? All right, fine. Let's go out and have a fight." And then he he storms away, cuts to you know, uh, Kevin and Corey Graves, and Corey Graves going, "Wait, what is Kevin doing? Like, no, he can't come out here. We've got something else scheduled right now." Kevin Owens music hits. He goes, "Well, f- I guess we're having a fight right now." <laughs> It works because, you know, it kind of freshens up the team a little bit because oh, obviously how serious they were with the bloodline storyline to now kind of go into more of a comedic realm. Yeah. Because both of them can pull that off yeah. between Kevin and Sammy, so yeah. I'm not super phased by that. Yeah, and then you had uh, Seth Rollins in the main event defend uh, the World Heavyweight Championship against Damian Priest. Uh, Seth, on Saturday, I want to say it was, tweeted out an open challenge like, hey, it's been a while since we've had a main event belt defended on Monday Night Raw. I think he said it was when Big E was was champion yep. that it was defended on Monday Night Raw. So he issued an open challenge. Damian Priest answered, and they had a match, and the match was, was fairly good. Uh, supposed to be without... Uh, Judgment Day cronies involved, but obviously them being the dastardly heels they are, they got involved, which you'd expect. Good match. Seth retained, uh, as, again, you would expect. Uh, But that was a good match. The one criticism I heard online, Mm -hmm. and I kind of want to address this very, very quickly, like one and done. Yeah. So Damian Priest got his arm hurt. Finn Balor, or at least he was selling in the storyline. Right. Finn Balor came out through the crowd, and obviously yep. he wasn't supposed to be there. There was kind of like that weird, awkward exchange. There was, yeah, there was like a handshake agreement, like, oh, nobody's supposed to be involved, and then he showed up. And then people I was reading online from a few places were getting mad that, like, oh, well, you, you had the bloodline storyline, the breakup isn't happening right away. Why are you breaking up the Judgment Day too? They're not. They're not. This is just to build a little tension because I think you're going to have a little – game of one upsmanship yeah. between Priest and Balor, but they're not going to do a full breakup. No. Or unless the only option that is going to happen here, and but granted, this is a stretch, so note the tone of my voice. If they kick out Damian Priest to put in J.D. McDonough. Because mm, they are teasing J.D. McDonough doing something. Right, and obviously he has strong connections to Finn Balor. Yeah, he does. So yeah, he does. It makes sense if they want to go there, but I don't think they're going there. Mm -mm. I think McDonough is going to get added as another member, and they're going to bump it up. But usually the factions they like doing are uh, usually kept to four in a faction. So they they 
typically don't teeter around five unless there's like a really right. good stipulation for that. And they're letting that simmer because that was at least two, maybe three weeks ago that McDonald was getting interviewed in the, the fucking garage of the arena they were in. And he left after the quote unquote interview was done. And you saw Balor behind him on like a stairwell looking down at him during the whole thing. So that, that, they're letting that simmer. They're building to something with that. Well, I think they're throwing it out there to see the reaction. Yeah. But but the problem is that the Judgment Day is so over, especially Priest with Rhea, yeah. with Dominic. Yeah. It's the faction that shouldn't have worked, and it's it's now finally paying off. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what do you do now? And this is where I think you might have a McDonough versus Priest thing go on possibly mm-hmm. but when i saw that i didn't think it was anything more than no they're going to interfere in each other's matches and maybe we'll get a three-way at um SummerSlam or something eh, like that, that could be. just just to appease you know filling in a spot on the roster yeah, card yeah could be uh, and then we gotta mention friday night smackdown because the greatest story in pro wrestling today continues continues uh, you had the 1,000-day celebration for Roman Reigns, uh, you know, eclipsing 1,000 days, even though it was 1,000 in, like, six or seven days, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they had the great graphics package, you know, where they were showing, where it was, like, the the stocks rising or, like, the rocket ship rising and all the noted uh, former WWE champions title reigns he had eclipsed. Uh, and then, as was rumored, the couple days they had the new world heavyweight—not the world heavyweight—the new uh, undisputed championship belt design, which gotta say, look good. Looks real goddamn good. Looks great. Looks awesome. And LOL, Roman three belts. <laughs> I think he's gonna keep those around for a couple of weeks just to rub it in people's faces. It's not gonna stick around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have the Usos who weren't supposed to be uh, present, and Adam Pearce said, "Oh, they're not—they're not allowed to be here. They're barred." They showed up anyway. And you, and you had a little go between them where, where eventually Solo Sokoa appeared to turn on Roman Reigns. And Roman was like, what the fuck is going on? And he goes, you know, and Solo had the great line, you know, I acknowledge you, my tribal chief, but they're my brothers. Until he turned his back on his brothers. Yeah. Oh, my God. Amazing work here. Yeah. And just when you think the storyline can't get any better, it does. Yeah. And they're going to completely keep this thing fresh going into Mania. Mm-hmm. Mania is when we finally end it. Yeah. But until then, enjoy the ride. And honestly, if you're hating on the storyline, you just don't like cinema. No. Sorry. Just going to put that out there. You, I don't understand how you can legitimately say you don't like this. Mm-hmm. Because it's the most compelling storyline in all of pro wrestling. Like, nobody is coming near this. Mm-hmm. This is on a whole different level. So if you're going to be complaining about it, I'm sorry. I can't yeah. I can't have that conversation with you. And I mean, obviously, we can talk about it, but if you have a logistic reason for it, mm-hmm. sure. But if you're going to say something about AEW is better and blah, 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 I, I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not lastly, WWE has got a new multi-year deal with Twitch. Yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah, so reading off an article on Cultaholic.com, it says, quote, WWE and Twitch have agreed to a multi-year partnership that sees WWE's official channel return to the platform. It was announced uh, today, although this being yesterday uh, as we record. WWE wrestlers will also be able to stream on Twitch again, reversing a 2020 edict from Vince McMahon that banned talent from using third-party platforms. The new deal will also see a companion sidecast to Monday Night Raw air on Twitch beginning tonight that will bring fans behind the scenes and closer to the in-ring action. The show will have a rotating host and WWE talents will appear on the show. Exclusive talent, or excuse me, exclusive content such as backstage interviews will also air during the sidecast. 
Furthermore, the WWE channel, official WWE channel, will air press conferences for pay-per-views and air other live productions. It was reported in April that WWE had reached an agreement with Twitch to allow wrestlers to stream on the platform. Revenue will split be split between Twitch, the wrestlers, and WWE. The money WWE receives is from the Twitch side of the deal. The arrangement is said to be talent-friendly, and wrestlers are uh, get a larger cut of the revenue than other content creators on the platform, close quote. Amazing. Yeah. Like, well, first and foremost, how are they doing this if Vince is back? I know. Jesus Christ. Vince is backstage, and they're, they're running on Twitch? I know. The, the heresy. Uh, exactly. Which, by the way, where was Raw last night? Uh, Hartford, Connecticut. So that's why Vince stopped by to say hi to people. Was an hour away. Yeah. Assuming there's no traffic. Everybody else saying he's back and was changing creative uh, and all that stuff. Oh, my God. Can, Vince is backstage at Monday Night Raw when it's an hour away from, from Stanford, Connecticut, in his home. Folks, he's got a private jet. So yeah. So traffic is of no concern to that, man. Yeah. And reportedly, all that was changed was the order in which things take place, which if you've ever run live television, mm-hmm. happens every, every fucking time. day. How many, like, go talk to any producer or director of a live morning newscast, and how many times does that fucking rundown get control A deleted? Yeah. Like, that, that's how shit, it is. Shit happens. You could have an entire, you could r- run Good Morning America on ABC and have three hours planned out or whatever, it is, however long it runs, like two hours, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And something breaks in the world, be it, you know, in the United States or uh, around the globe, that all of a sudden, that that 8.30 segment you had with a, with a cooking show or cooking whatever with, let's just say, let's just say it's Emeril Lagasse. Yeah. All of a sudden, something happens in the UK. You know, like a couple months ago when, unfortunately, the, the Queen of England passed. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that when the Queen of England passed, Good Morning America and every other morning news program on the planet had stuff planned. But you know what? Life happens. Threw it out the window, yeah. Throw, throws it out the window. Yeah, because obviously that's a bigger story. That, that happens. Yeah. You know, so it's not uncommon for live produced shows to go, hey, you know what? This is happening. We got to rotate this around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, when you have major events like that, that is a very big yeah. news story for the world. Yeah, you're going to break away for this. and But this is also on a minor scale. Yeah. Normal television. It happens. Yeah. This happens on your local news stations all the time. Yeah. Hell, this happens on podcasts yeah. all the time. Yeah. I know. Crazy. Bizarre. But I think maybe just Vince came there to make sure his Twitch channel was set up because like it's <laughs> this is this is uh, such a, a smart move yeah. by Nick Khan yeah. and Triple H and the powers that be yeah. because- when you think Twitch, you think streaming. Yeah, yeah. It is still a very big platform, oh, albeit yeah. it's not YouTube. No. But it is still one that is growing, especially amongst wrestling fans. Oh, yeah. And this is something I thought about, too, uh, when after I read the article. Sure. If you go on TikTok. Sure. And especially during live wrestling, whether it's Monday night, whether it's uh, AEW, Wednesdays, uh, Friday night SmackDown, uh, occasionally NXT. Sure. How many times do you see influencers, quote-unquote, content creators, quote-unquote, live reacting on Twitch? Fair amount. yeah. Yeah. It's growing. Oh, yeah. So if you're WWE, yeah, the leader of sports entertainment, why would you not want to get involved? Right. And especially drive some of that traffic, which is doing big numbers in views and replays 
to your own platform. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, just doing a quick Google search for how many active users they have uh, and an article dated March 27th, 2023, uh, Twitch apparently has 140 million monthly active users. Yeah. That's not even counting people who subscribe to various channels. That's just 140 million people who go to this site and watch people. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense for them to do it. Yeah. I love it that they reworked the deal out that the creators on the and the wrestlers of WWE are getting more money mm-hmm. as they rightfully should. Because if you th- if you really want to break it down like this, yeah. when you think wrestling and Twitch, who comes to mind? Well, back in the day, Russell Circus. Right. Well, that's how they used to show their shows. Right. But I'm even taking a step further. Okay. Up, up, down, down. Yeah, that's true. And you think about what they did to break through. Yeah. Yeah. But Russell Circus does deserve a little credit because we always would catch them as one of the first ones that we were aware of mm-hmm. showcasing their shows yeah. on Twitch. Yeah. Obviously, other federations have done that since. Right. But you think about it as far as the wrestlers go, Up, Up, Down, Down took off and became a life of its own. Yes, this is true. And opened the doors for AJ Styles yeah. and Adam Cole. Bye-bye. So you think about in that perspective right. of how big this platform was. And right. then... Obviously, when Vince was in charge and did not fully grasp the concept, which I get, old, yeah, old, a different generation doesn't use it, doesn't really care or, or spend the time to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. And obviously, didn't agree with it, but did, I got it. Yeah, I understood why, but I didn't agree with it. This rectifies a lot. Yeah, no, it does. And especially with the TV rights being up in the air. This is another way to segue programming to your own channel. Right. I mean, and plus the thing of it is, they're, honest to God, honestly, there's no harm in them doing it. I mean, they're going to stream video. I guarantee you none of them are going to stream the competition's video game. Yeah. There, there's no way any of them are going to boot. There's no way you're going to get like a Johnny Gargano booting up AEW Fight Forever live. I'm sure he might play it in his own free time, but hey, it's his own free time. He can do whatever the fuck he pleases. It's his own free time. But are you going to see, you know, an Xavier Woods or Dakota Kai or or Zelina Zelina Vega booting up, you know, some game that they don't agree with? No, they're not going to be that stupid. There's no harm in it. It's just them connecting with the fans, growing their fan base, and giving them an, an, another avenue for a little extra cash. And plus, it works for WWE because I, I caught a little bit of, of their companion stream. And admittedly, I think it needs a little bit of work. But hey, sure. First, first time out. First stream, you know, there are going to be some kinks. You know, they're going to probably run the bump on there. You know, they're going to they're going to simulcast it on there. Bring back the mixed match challenge. Mm-hmm. Do others. Ooh, that would work. They haven't done mixed match challenge in quite some time. I think it's quite honestly a long time to bring it back and run it back again. But you can do some other, you know, I know Rich brought it up on 607 TWS this week. If you've got a a house show taking place at a major venue, like a Staples Center, I don't care if it's called the Crypto.com Arena. It's always the Staples Center. It's the Staples Center. If you've got it running at the Staples Center or Madison Square Garden or someplace over in London that like, hey, we got a loaded card and you know what? We want to give the fans at home who can't make it here something to see. Mm-hmm. do it it's not that hard yeah you, you can run it there are indie promotions that do this exactly and that's the whole point of this there's so much possibility to go on this platform and really blow this up yeah and you can really get away with certain things to test out sure like i say i i know it's all been referred to in with a lot of our content creating friends yeah. as the wild wild west i even think rich has mentioned that on 607 tws yeah, too a little bit that 
yeah, Twitch is a pretty much a little more looser landscape to really test some things out with. Mm-hmm. And especially if you want to get people watching your product, and and we really have to go back to the television rights. Yeah. That they're not locked and loaded for a network just yet. Not yet. But if they want to test out about moving content to here, this is a great way to do it too. Oh yeah, I mean look at look at what happened with Pat McAfee in his in his podcast live show. You mm-hmm. know, went from you know being on YouTube with the DraftKings deals or FanDuel deals deal whatever whichever site it was. Right. To now he's on ESPN and the reported number he got, which he has said yeah, that, that that ain't the number, but hey, good guess. Yeah. But just look at what streaming has done for Pat McAfee. Oh yeah, absolutely. So like I say, the fact that WWE has taken such a vested interest in streaming on yeah. this platform yeah. is huge. I fully expect to see more people getting involved in it to a degree. I do too. But you're not going to see like this huge migration over from like say Fight Plus. Right. I would say we're not we're not going to see like Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins and AJ Styles and and what have you start streaming. But you might see a few more start jumping in there if they want to. I wouldn't doubt you see WWE get more involved with the video game and doing something like that. I could see that do like a brand supremacy, you know, type of tournament. Yeah, type, the, type thing. Yeah, a little precursor to Survivor Series. Yeah, or yeah. or if they really want to do something, I think it would be really smart. Showcase somebody from NXT mm. and push that. Yeah, I could see it. There's a lot of possibilities with this, but this is nothing but win for Twitch and yeah. WWE and wrestling fans in general because there's going to be a lot of content coming your way on this, yeah. especially heading into Money in the Bank. So, I mean, who knows what to expect from that? Mm-hmm. With that being said, his up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod, what is your thoughts of the WWE weekend that was? Monday Night Raw, SmackDown had a lot of storylines going on with that, plus a big announcement of a partnership with Twitch. We need to discuss this. And if you're even looking for more pro wrestling topics and more federations that we're not talking about here on the ODPH, we'll swing on over to 607TWS on your favorite podcast provider. The latest episode is up right now. So drop that follow, drop that five-star review on both ODPH and 607TWS and take a listen to all the content and let's discuss it after, shall we? We're going to take a quick break right now, though. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Alan Dufford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, Pad. What you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is obviously the local minute and looking at the uh, schedule for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies this past week where they were on the road uh, playing Altoona. Uh, they had a game on, what was it, Tuesday, the th- uh, May the 30th, where they won by the final score of 10-3. to Came back on Wednesday and lost by the final score of 4-3. to Lost on Thursday by the final score of 9-8. to Lost on Friday by the final score of 6-3. Noticing a trend here because they lost on Saturday by the final score of 10-3. to And then lost again on Sunday by the final score of 6-2. to Four. So hopefully they have real short memories and forget all of that because they're on the road again this week, uh, this week playing the Reading Fight and Fills. Uh, all of the game times from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday are at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Uh, their game on Saturday is at 6.45 p.m. Eastern, and then their game on Sunday, the 11th, is at 5.15 p.m. Eastern. Uh, they return home on Tuesday, May, uh, June 13th, where they start a series against the Portland Sea Dogs, who are, of course, the AA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Mm. So more tickets, information, all 
that good stuff, uh, bingrp.com. And then we're going to stick with some baseball because uh, middle of the baseball season there, a little first quarter of the baseball season, got some news breaking. Uh, it has been reported that Rangers ace, although I use that term very lightly these days, Jacob deGrom is going to be out for the season. Oh, jeez. Uh, if you listen closely, you'll hear Mets fans laughing. Uh, reading from an article on ESPN.com, it says, quote, Texas Rangers ace Jacob deGrom will undergo Tommy John surgery. Oh, man. To re- to, uh, repair a tear in his ulnar collateral ligament, or his UCL for layman's terms. Uh, General Manager Chris Young announced on Tuesday, DeGrom hasn't pitched since April 28th when he exited early because of injury concerns for the second time in a span of three starts. He was moved to the 60-day injured list on Monday after he didn't improve as quickly as we had hoped. After five bullpen sessions while trying to work his way uh, back, according to Young, This stinks, said an emotional DeGrom, according to the Dallas Morning News. It's not ideal, but at least we know what it is now. I want to get it fixed and we'll set a goal to be back uh, before the end of next year. Close quote. The Rangers signed DeGrom in in free agency to a five-year, $185 million deal after he played his first nine big league seasons with the New York Mets. He was limited by injuries to 156 and one-third innings over 26 starts in his last two years in New York. This will be the second Tommy John surgery of DeGrom's career as he underwent the procedure in 2010 during his rookie year. DeGrom had a career-low 1.08 ERA over 92 innings during the 2021 season before missing the final three months with right forearm tightness and a sprained elbow. He didn't make his big league uh, first big league start last year until August 2nd after being shut down late in spring training because of a stress reaction in his right scapula. Uh, Texas has won all six games started by DeGrom, but the right-hander has pitched only 30 and a third innings. He has a 2.67 ERA with 45 strikeouts and four walks. He threw three and two-thirds scoreless innings against the New York Yankees on April 28th before leaving that game because of discomfort in his arms. So the curse with Jacob DeGrom continues. Man. Because that's the thing is, so if in case you don't know, Tommy John surgery for a baseball pitcher, you're out a year. At least. And then it's at least another half year after that before you're considered being back to where you were before. So you might as well wipe out because we're, we're sitting here in June. He's probably, I'm, I'm going to guess he's going to have surgery sometime this week if he hasn't had it already. Mm. So you're going to be looking at, Ju- at July easily before the guy comes back. So even six months out from July, you're looking at basically December. So he's probably going to miss all of next year. Just to be on the safe side. How old is he again? Uh, I can look it up. This is very sad news to hear. And I know Mets fans have a very polarizing reaction when you mention his name. Yeah, they do. So the, just to kind of clarify, if anybody's not familiar with their fan base and him. Uh, he looked it up. He is currently 34. He turns 35 on June 19th. Oh, man. Yeah. I I hope he does come back. I really do. Mm-hmm. But this is his second Tommy John surgery. Yeah, it is. One is bad too. Yeah, I, I'm not good. You talk. You always talk about players that unfortunately were had the injury curse on them. Mm-hmm. Degrom will go down as one of the biggest what ifs, in my oh, opinion. Yeah. Oh yeah. If the Mets could only fucking hit for him. Yeah. Dude was lights out in some of those years with the Mets, but just the Mets for whatever fucking reason collectively forgot how to hit. If he was on a team that could hit more. He might be a world champion. Say shit if he was across. Time, t- time if, he was, over. if he was across town. 
Yeah. Because how many years did we get to the trade deadline and he and it was rumored that all oh, Yankees are looking at the Grom. Yankees are looking at the Grom. It just never happened. Yeah, it just never pulled off. Which might be a, a blessing in disguise. Well, that's the one thing. It's just when he's on, he is on and he's lights out. Mm-hmm. But I hate saying this at this age, though, but yeah. that's a lot to come back from. Yeah. We always kind of refer to tread on the tires. Mm-hmm. Two Tommy John surgeries. I mean. Yeah. At what point do you kind of sit there and go, I had a good run? I think he might have to consider it if, if things don't go the way he, he planned. Because he's not going to want to go out like this. He's going to try and make Oh, absolutely. It. And he has every right to. I'm not, I'm yeah. not disputing that. He's going to try and make a comeback you know, next season, hopefully. But I think if it, if it doesn't progress the way he wanted with the way the last couple of years have gone, he might have to consider it. I mean, it's it's something you have to. Just yeah. you have to think long-term. Like, yeah. I understand what he's he's trying to do. And, like, listen, I seriously hope he does come back. Because Lord knows he doesn't want to end up like, unfortunately, Steven Strasburg, who has nerve damage and won't and reportedly won't be able to pitch ever. Yeah. And he's done, done. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's terrible news to hear. Yeah. And like I say, I hope he comes back. I hope he can finish his career out on his own terms. Yeah. But two Tommy John surgeries with all the other stuff he's had over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to just kind of think about long term instead of yeah. short term. Yeah. So in the meantime, though, like I say, we we send our uh, heartfelt well wishes to a speedy and healthy recovery. Mm-hmm. And I hope to see him back on the diamond at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, to finish out his career and you know just. But man, that's yeah. just hearing that was just like not man, easy. that's yeah, that's not tough. Or that's tough. And then switching over to the American League, we got to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays, who's ace Alex Manoa. It's not having a good year. Uh, so reading from an article on ESPN.com, quote: Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Alex Manoa was optioned Tuesday to the rookie level Florida Complex League, a demotion designed to help the former ace reset from a nightmare start to the season. The Blue Jays made the move uh, uh, one day after Manoa lasted just one-third of an inning and allowed six runs in a loss to the Houston Astros. The 2022 American League Cy Young Award finalist is 1-7 with a 6.36 ERA in 13 starts this season. Blue Jays manager John Schneider acknowledged after Monday's 11-4 loss that, quote, Everything is on the table, close quote, in terms of the organization's options for Manoa, whose demotion came amid a series of roster moves. Formerly known as the Gulf Coast League, the Florida Complex League, or FCL, is considered one of the lowest levels of affiliated minor league baseball. The Blue Jays' FCL team operates out of the organization's spring training complex in Dunedin, Florida, where Manoa will have access to resources that may have been limited at higher levels of the minors. Manoa, 25, was an all-star last season when he finished third in the American League in wins with 16 and ERA at 2.24. Uh, Blue Jays pitcher Chris Bassett was reinstated from the paternity list Tuesday, while infielder Santiago Espinal was activated from the 10-day injured list. Toronto also selected the contract of right-handed right-hander Bowden Francis from AAA Syracuse. To make room for Bassett, Espinal, and Francis on the roster, the Blue Jays designated right-hander Zach Thompson for assignment and opt right-hander Jay Jackson and infielder Ernie Clement to AAA Buffalo. So if you're not familiar with FCL, because I sure as shit wasn't, uh, according to the Wikipedia page for minor league baseball, there are these levels of minor league baseball. You've got AAA, Mm -hmm. which is the highest level of minor league baseball before you get to the major leagues. Uh, I'm real familiar with that one. Then you've got AA, which is the next level down. We here at the 607 are intimately familiar because that is the level our local Binghamton Rumble Ponies play at. Right. Then you've got high A, 
single A, and then rookie ball. So according to the Wikipedia page in the little section about rookie ball, it says, quote, minor leagues with the rookie classification play a shortened season starting in mid-June and ending in late August or early September. The lowest level of minor league baseball consists of two U.S.-based leagues, the Arizona Complex League and Florida and Florida Complex League, uh, and one Caribbean-based league, the Dominican Summer League. The U.S.-based rookie leagues uh, play a schedule of approximately 60 games and are named Complex Leagues because games are played at their parent club's spring training complexes. Rosters consist primarily of newly drafted players who are not yet ready for a higher level of play. These leagues are intended almost exclusively to allow players to hone their skills, no admission is charged, and no concessions are sold, close quote. Mm. So, yikes. Yeah, to put it mildly, I mean, that is one heck of a downfall. Oh, it is. It's, it's insane because I remember even the All-Star game last year, him pitching in there, he was one of the players that Fox chose to mic up and was listening to him you know, grunt and cheer and yell and all this other stuff during the game and certainly made a splash. Talked a fair amount of shit, too. Yeah. Uh, but now it's apparently that all that shit he talked is coming back to bite him in the ass because I don't know if it's the pitch clock. I don't know if just for whatever reason the proverbial wheels have fallen off. Something's wrong. Well, you have to kind of think about it. Sometimes when you have these upstarts, I guess is a nice way to put it. Sure. That come flying out of nowhere that light the sport world on fire in their respective sports. And they get figured out yeah. the next season. I mean, that's the one thing that when you're at the professional level, teams study. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I know a lot of fans don't get at times. Yeah. But when your business is to win, all bets are off on how to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're getting examined about every little aspect of your game. Yeah. And the great ones find ways to adapt. Uh-huh. The good ones maintain a certain level, but they plateau. Yep. And the ones that surprise one season and flame out the next, I mean, it is what it is. Could be one of the cases. And that's what it sounded like here, so that's kind of wild to think about. Lastly, certainly not least, we got an update on the Oakland A's and the Las Vegas situation, which not sounding good right now. Mm Mm-hmm. No, no, it's not. (laughs) So reading from an article again on ESPN.com, quote, a plan to help build a stadium for the Oakland Athletics in Las Vegas is in flux after Nevada lawmakers adjourned their four-month legislative session. The future of the contentious bill is now uncertain after the legislature did not advance it before the midnight deadline as Monday turned to Tuesday. The proposal could potentially be considered in a special legislative session at a date to be determined later, where lawmakers would later vote on it. Lawmakers also failed to pass one of the five major budget bills that included over $1 billion to fund capital improvement projects that fund state public works and construction, which would also likely be considered for a special session. In a statement overnight, Governor Joe Lombardo said he would call a special session later Tuesday morning where he would set the agenda for legislative priorities. Now, the timeline is murky for a bill that has revived the national debate over public funding for private sports stadiums, a measure that could add to Las Vegas' growing sports scene. Amid concerns and skepticism among economists uh, about minimal benefits for a hefty price tag. The A's reached an agreement with Bally's and gaming uh, and leisure properties to build a potential stadium along the Las Vegas Strip last month. A's president Dave Caval said he hopes to break ground next year and open in time for the 2027 season. The Athletics have a lease at Oakland Coliseum through 2024 and could play the 2025 
and 26 seasons at Las Vegas Ballpark, home to their AAA affiliate. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred has said a vote on the A's move to Las Vegas could take place when owners meet June 13th through the 15th in New York. The bulk of public funding for uh, for the $1.5 billion retractable roof stadium would come from $380 million in public assistance, partly through $180 million in transferable tax credits, and $120 million in, con- in county bonds. Tax back, taxpayer-backed uh, loans to help finance projects in special and a special tax district around the stadium. Backers have pledged the district will generate enough money to pay off those bonds and interest. Close quote. Uh, so with all those numbers aside, uh, he thinks the owner could chip a little bit more into this. Uh, yeah. Because, because the majority owner of the Oakland Athletics is a gentleman by the name of John Fisher, uh, who is the youngest, and I'm reading this off of Forbes, his Forbes.com profile. Uh, he is the youngest son of Gap founders Doris and Donald Fisher, uh, their three sons. Uh, according to Forbes, he is worth an estimated $2.2 billion. Uh, dude, I think you could chip in a little bit. Yeah, you could definitely throw in some more with this. I mean, the poor A's. I know, and they're already having a shit season because, let me pull up the standings, uh, they are currently in last place in the American League West with a record of 12 wins and 50 losses. They're 28 and a half games out of first place. They've got a win percentage of 194. Man. Yeah, they're they're historically bad. Like most losses in a single major league baseball season potentially bad. This is like the movie Major League almost. 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 But man, I I hate even picking on them. I know. Like like I I just wish for their fan base they get something worked out. Yeah. Like something that makes sense. Yeah. I'd love for them to stay in Oakland, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. But, Oakland's kind of at equal fault for that as yeah, the ownership that, is. Yeah, there's there's a lot of moving parts with that, but then especially if you're trying to move to Vegas. The uh, the ownership hasn't helped, but Oakland the ownership has been trying to get, you know, as for as much as, as much as Oakland ownership is at fault, you know, they have been trying to get a new stadium in Oakland for quite some time, and the city council has said no at every turn yeah so uh, yeah that's the easy way i'm just gonna describe it yeah uh. yeah all right so mine i'm going to talk about a topic we don't talk often on here yeah not since the days of sound guy galore jr oh christ but there is some news that broke that i feel we have to talk about sure um because it's mind-blowing in my eyes. Okay. So reading off an article from ESPN.com by Mark Slayback, quote, the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. DP World Tour, and Live Golf League, which have been embroiled in a bitter legal battle for more than a year, have agreed to unify and move forward in a larger commercial business, the circuits announced Tuesday. The tours called the stunning development, quote, a landmark agreement on a global basis, end quote. Further reading the article, quote, there's been a lot of tension in our sport over the last couple of years. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan told CNBC on Tuesday, quote, what we're talking about today is coming together to unify the game of golf and to do some um, under one umbrella. We recognize that together we have a far greater impact on this game than we can working apart. The game of golf is better for what we've done here today, end quote. 
Uh, so this is shocking. Yeah. Now we like, and I'm stressing this very much. We don't talk golf on here that much. Uh, if it ain't mini golf, it's out of my wheelhouse. Right. But I do know for a fact that when live started, yep. it more or less caused a civil war amongst PGA players. Yeah. There was a number that left for very hefty price tags, and then there were those who stayed loyal to the PGA. Uh-huh, and it is bitter. It's probably one of the more nasty feuds in all of sports. Uh, and if you want to know how one of the golfers who left for Live feels, uh, go look at Phil Mickelson's Twitter account. Phil Mickelson is having a field day today. Uh, he's, he quote-tweeted a CNBC tweet saying, you know, saying breaking PGA Tour agrees to merge with Saudi-backed rival Live Golf, to which Phil Mickelson quotes, said, quote, awesome day today, and then a smiling emoji. Yeah. So you can tell how he feels. Well, I know he was very pro-live, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was. And to think some of the other players that have been very vocal, I know in the article, uh, quoting again from ESPN.com, said one PGA player reached by ESPN on Tuesday, quote, no fucking way, end quote. <laughs> well, I, from what I gathered online. I'm willing to drop the F-bomb there yeah, for this one. No, yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. Uh, from what I gathered online with the social media reaction, nobody saw this coming. Well, nobody did this because, like you said, everyone. Well, and that's the thing too is all the articles were like, "Oh, this long and brutal battle." I'm like, it was like a year. Like this, everyone's acting like this was a multi-year battle. No, this was like a year. But no, this. I remember from you know when I was working out at the gym and ESPN was on one of the TVs at the gym and just seeing like the statements that were very visceral and very like sharp-tongued. You know, what the PGA was saying to the golfers who decided to leave the PGA for live golf, I figured hell would freeze over before anything happened between these two entities. And I should probably go check because I think hell froze over. I mean, it's been a weird weather day, man. So, uh, this is true. so let's just put that out there. No, I agree with you. Like this, this got my attention because of how visceral the feud has been. Yeah. The golfers have not been shying away from really telling the others off involving. So whether you're pro live or pro PGA, you've had a stance. Uh-huh. And it's been toxic as all can be because it's really been some of the nastiest things you've seen amongst players against each other. And I think there's a quote on here that they shared on the article by Byung Hun An, who um, I'm reading his tweet. Quote, I'm guessing the live teams were struggling to get sponsors and the PGA Tour couldn't turn down the money. Win-win for both tours, but a big loss for those who defended the tour the last two years. End tweet. I had, End quote. I, I had to wonder that same thing, too, just because the the live golf has been around since, I want to say maybe, and I can look it up, since like March or April last year, mm -hmm. give or take. It's relatively new. And only within the last two months or so they finally landed a tv deal here in the states and they were on the cw mm -hmm. which was the most bizarre fucking thing to see because i here i am sitting at home watching an episode of superman and lois and on pops a live golf tour commercial i'm like oh shit they actually found a, a tv spot spot i i think what that tweet said is probably not far off where sure they had two billion dollars you know, earmarked from the Saudi government to run this thing. But I don't think it played out the way they expected it to and made buku bucks and a big cash flow. And this might be their way of saying, hey, you know what? We bit off more than we can chew and let's let's try and work this out. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting story that's just breaking right before we're recording. So we'll definitely stay tuned to this, but for any golfers in the ODPH Society, I really want to get your reaction to this because I'm sitting here processing this. I can't wrap my head around why other than this is a big money move for all parties involved. Oh, it's guaranteed it's money. And I think that that's the driving force here. But I do side with the players that were defending the PGA for two years. Yeah. Like Rory McIlroy. Yeah, Rory's got Rory's got to be a little pissed. Oh, I, I've not seen his reaction to this yet. But I guarantee you he's probably he's extremely outspoken because of how much he was, you know, pro PGA tour. So this is going to be a story to watch over the next couple days. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I really want to get some people's opinions on this. Cause if you're big into the PGA, I really want to know your take on this. So hit me up on the social medias, hit pad up. Let's talk about this because I'm really curious your thoughts. So that'll be the homework assignment for this week for the ODPH sports edition. In the meantime, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We will see you next time. Such waste of time Swiping left and swiping right On people you could know Cause anyone who's worth a damn Be worth way more than a picture could ever show You can find the right light Find the right angle And never find your soul And it can feel like a losing battle And this plot is full of holes This modern way of finding love Just makes me feel so alone And I can't be the only one Sick of staring at my phone So look up Talk to me A better way to spend our energy Just look up Talk to me time fable everyone has just one true love all i know is you're across this table and you're all i'm thinking of so look up talk to me a better way to spend our energy just look up Swiping left and swiping right on people you could know